Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. It's eight minutes after the hour. Uh, Second Amendment supporting State Representative Chuck Basie, Dale Roberts of the CPOA, Garson from Graffs, all on board. We're going to start this morning with a conversation I had with uh, probably the the foremost expert on firearms and uh, and the media, among other things. Uh, so without uh, further ado, so we start uh, the program now with Dr. John Lott, uh, probably his most famous book, More Guns, Less Crime, but he is a prolific writer and researcher on the Second Amendment and guns. Uh, he's got a book out now called Gun Control Myths. We'll talk about that. Uh, John Lott, welcome to the program. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you on board. Let's, uh, if, if you don't mind, uh, spend a couple of minutes uh, looking at a, a recent study that indicates there are increases in mass shootings around the country. I think they, they imply something like a 50% increase and a big jump in Missouri. Uh, so before we start anywhere, I want to find out if those numbers are accurately represented. Well, it was a big increase in crime last year, but there's a simple reason why the crime increased. You had it so that in may, many major urban areas, uh, police were ordered to stand down, were not allowed to go and do their jobs. You had uh, in jails and prisons across the country, 25% uh, or in some cases even 50% of inmates were being released. Uh, you had it in many urban areas, uh, uh, heavily Democratic urban areas, the prosecutors refuse to prosecute criminals. So, I mean, it's not rocket science to me that if you make it so that criminals don't face risks for going and committing crime, you're going to have more crime that's going to occur. That's nothing particularly deep there. What about the mass shooting argument? Uh, well, that's crime, right? Yeah. Hey, look, they're talking about, I mean, they're talking about not mass public shootings, the ones that get the attention. They're talking about primarily cases that involve gang fights over drug turf and stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't think that that's particularly surprising either. All right. So that might happen. But then there is the assertion that it correlates to an increase in gun sales. And I couldn't find yeah, well, I'm saying there's, there's a reason why gun sales increased, and that's because people were seeing that the police weren't able to go and do their job. I mean, it's a stupid discussion. You yeah. know, okay, so <clears throat> police weren't able to do their job. Uh, people, uh, you know, uh, felt it was necessary to be able to go and get guns to go and defend themselves. The reason why gun sales increase was because crime was out of control crime wasn't out of control because gun sales were increasing yeah that's what i was looking for so yeah gun sales increased because of all the tumult and everything else that was going on but it wasn't uh, the sale the increase in sales that led to mass shootings it was shootings that led to increase in sales uh and i think they got that bass backwards um well, they did on purpose I, you know, I, I think they do a lot of that on purpose. And you know, we've had conversations sitting around the table here uh, about how, how often they mischaracterize uh, referring to a semi-automatic weapon as, a, as an automatic, as a machine gun or a fully automatic. Do you think they do that because of ignorance or do you think they, 
they've got a game plan where they're trying to scare everybody. I think they do it on purpose. It's I mean, at this point, I got into the point where it's pretty clear to me that, uh, you know, they don't really care about this. It's ideologically driven, and that's, and that's what they get. You've got an, uh, your latest book, which is Gun Control Myths. Um, I haven't got my hands on it yet. Well, I want one autographed by you, John. But uh, tell me, uh, what what are some of the uh, the biggest myths that you expose in this book? I mean, uh, it's hard to pick what the biggest ones are, but uh, some of the ones are things like the claim that the United States is somehow unique in terms of mass public shootings. That's simply not even remotely close to being accurate. The United States makes up almost 5% of the world population, but we make up less than 1% of the world's mass public shooters. Uh, the casualty rate from mass public shootings in the rest of the world is also much, much higher than the United States. Uh, you know, even comparing Europe, there are many countries in Europe that have much higher uh, casualty rates or numbers of mass public shootings per capita than we have here in the United States. Uh, you have to adjust things on a per capita basis. The United States has 330 million people. You can't compare that to you know, Spain or Italy or even Germany has 80 million people, but that's still a fraction of what we have. Norway is a country of like four or five million people. Uh, you have to adjust for population. And when you do, you see that much of Europe has a much higher mass public shooting rate. Russia has a rate of mass public shootings that's something like 50% higher than the rate in the United States. Um, you know, it's not, uh, uh, you know, it's just that the media just doesn't cover most of these cases. If you have a school shooting in Russia, Maybe it gets some small news coverage someplace, but uh, you know it uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't get uh, enough coverage that most people in the United States even recognize it. I mean, just look at France. France in one year, 2015, had more casualties from mass public shootings than the United States had during the entire eight years of the Obama presidency uh, that covered that period. Uh, you had 532 casualties from mass public shootings in France in just that one year uh, compared to 527 in the United States over eight years, even including, you know, cases like Sandy Hook in there. Um, you know, when you're uh, when you're watching television and, and I'm going to kind of switch gears on you here because I know you cover this on your website uh, and I would recommend uh, every Second Amendment supporter who wants to hear the other side, go to crimeresearch.org uh, and donate if you can. But I noticed one of the things you've been doing lately is you've been covering television programs. And I've uh, and, and because you brought it to my attention uh, on your website, now it makes me crazy every time I see it. Uh, and that is uh, when you watch uh, Chicago PD or some of these other programs, everybody's got a full automatic weapon. And it, it almost never happens in this country, but they make it sound so ubiquitous, like it's always happening. Right. 
Well, it's not just that they use uh, those types of weapons. It's also the fact that uh, they are calling them AR-15s and, and what have you. They make it sound like the types of weapons that you and I or others could own are the ones being used in these mass public shootings. And it's simply false. You know, it's a range of different types of, for lack of a better word, lies that they have for these things. Uh, you know, they want to make it appear that, uh, you know, uh, we have white supremacists engaged in massive uh, numbers of crimes occurring. Uh, it's simply, you know, I, I'm sure it's something that the Bloomberg people have poll tested. And, uh, you know, they just know that if they hit these particular messages enough, maybe they'll be able to get their agenda through. And unfortunately, they're working very closely with the media on, uh, on putting these types of claims out. You know, they work with the news media, they work with uh, entertainment television media, and they, they brag about working with them. If you just turn the radio on, we're talking with Dr. John Lott. He is the author of, among other things, uh, More Guns, Less Crime. Uh, he does have uh, a more recent book out called Gun Control Myths. Uh, right now, uh, we're talking about a uh, piece that he's got uh, regularly. He's put it up on his website, crimeresearch.org, uh, about uh, television programs. And inevitably, if a private citizen has a firearm on one of these television programs, they go out and do something wrong with them. And the message is that these guns are dangerous and only the police should have them. Right. Well, I mean, uh, you don't see successful defensive gun uses on uh, entertainment television. What happens is if they try to use a gun defensively, something goes wrong. Somebody's shot or killed. It's the gun is taken from them and used against them and a crime. It's basically all the types of false claims that you see from the gun control groups just repeated over and over again. And the police basically tell people that they shouldn't own guns. They try to help out the police or try to catch a criminal. They put not only their own lives in danger on these shows, but they put the lives of the police officers in danger. <clears throat> you, you just never see a successful defensive gun use occurring. It's ironic. I know an awful lot of law enforcement officers in fact, uh, we regularly have some on the program. I don't know one that is anti-concealed carry. They all, that I know of anyway, I'm sure there's some exceptions. They all seem to think concealed carry is a benefit. Even to them, it's a benefit that we uh, concealed carry. Take the right training, take the right classes, uh, know your target, what's beyond, uh, all, all kinds of important lessons that you learn. But once you learn them, chances are you're going to be more law-abiding than even law enforcement. Go to crimeresearch.org, get the inside information on guns and the truth from Dr. John Lott. John, thank you for being with us today. Uh, that uh, that uh, conversation uh, we had yesterday, it's Dr. John Lott. Uh, we'll be back to con to chat with, uh, with the guys about what we just heard. Uh, we'll even have a, a firearms musical interlude. You can uh, hear the song. Uh, it's on Gary on Guns on Facebook right now. You're listening to Gary on Guns on Hot Talk, 93.9 The Eagle. It is 23 minutes after the hour. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Chuck Basie, Second Amendment supporter, member of the uh, legislature. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Gary. Thank you for having me. Always glad to have you on board. And, of course, Dale is in. Dale uh, works with the CPOA, but he's here as Dale. He's a Second Amendment supporter. He's an attorney. He's a gun guy, so we we just we let him in. 
Good morning. Yes, yeah. I'm just a gun law guy. Yeah, just a gun law guy. And then, of course, we have Garson from Graphs. And, uh, you know, uh, Garson uh, not only gives us his insight, but he tells us about firearms that he, he's only got one of and you can't get your hands on. Uh, <laughs> Garson, I, I good bought, morning. I bought that SIG 210. <laughs> you did, didn't you? Yeah, did. Did you really? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the microphone. <laughs> he'll he'll get your appetite wet, and then he'll, you know, just... You're like Lucy with the football. You know, you pull it away at the last minute. I guess. Uh, but but uh, if you're looking for firearms or ammo, I would start my search in Mexico, Missouri with graphs. G-R-A-F-S dot com. Um, we, we've also got another guest that's uh, coming on board that uh, I, I recorded the interview yesterday uh, with Carla Howell. She's, she's written a song. <laughs> we'll talk about it and play it a little later in the show. In the meantime, uh, what would you guys think of uh, John's observations? I, I enjoy uh, listening and reading John's uh, stuff. I bought that uh, the Gun Control Myths book not too long ago, and I'm kind of reading through it right now. So it's very, very, very uh, smart man, and I really appreciate what he's doing. He, I, you know, I was looking at uh, the negative comments from the political left, and I mean, they hate this guy. They despise him. Uh, it is amazing the vitriol. Uh, but uh, I don't think anybody has more insight into uh, ownership of firearms, uh, particularly in the United States, but even worldwide. Uh, and I, uh, uh, I never cease to learn something uh, talking to John. Let's, it, uh, it, go ahead. It, sorry, Gary. I was just going to say I can't help but enjoy the fact that he is a UCLA-educated economist who's a gun guy. And that. I'm sorry for the stereotype. That doesn't fit the usual paradigm. Just demonstrates there are people from all walks who are supporters of the Second Amendment. Well, the the interesting thing about John, and this is why uh, I I was so fascinated when I first met him. I don't know, maybe twenty years ago, was that he started his book uh, in order to prove that gun control works. And when he <laughs> did the homework, he went, "Oh, I'm on the wrong side of this. It doesn't work." He was an anti-Second Amendment, anti-concealed carry guy. Uh, and, and that just gives him a lot more credibility, at least as far as I'm concerned. Let's grab a phone call here. John is uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the queue. John, welcome. Glad to have you on Gary on Guns. Appreciate it. Always interesting. Yes, it, is, it is amazing to me how it's, we're trying, the people are trying to manipulate us to take us away from the right to have that something to protect us that the pattern salt was so important and and the, I don't know how to word it but I'm getting concerned because of the political environment in DC and we see what they're trying to do where we at least hear it um, looks like it's more in danger now than probably ever ever before that they want to take the second amendment away yeah, they they certainly uh, have campaigned on it. I don't uh, I don't see it happening at the end of the day. Uh, in fact, there are some interesting cases. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. John, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on Gary on Guns. Speaking of interesting cases, uh, out in California, uh, and I guess I'll send this one to Dale, uh, the legal mind on the panel here. 
Out in California, they tried to limit the number of rounds in your magazine. Uh, they wanted no more than, I think, 10. Uh, the NRA at Al took them to court and prevailed. Uh, they got a three-judge panel to say, no, this law is not constitutional. Well, the liberals in California couldn't handle that, so they won on bunk. Uh, and if they do that uh, and lose or win, it doesn't matter, uh, but particularly if they lose, I think that sets up a, a, a kind of a, a fast track to the Supreme Court. Um, it, it, and I, I actually wanted to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, and it, and my, my logic here, my reasoning is, the Supreme Court tips in the right direction now. And if it goes there, it'll be final. It'll be the law of the land. You can't do this. You can't tell somebody what they can carry or how many rounds it'll carry. Uh, does that seem like the is, my goal is, uh, you know, am I, am I pointed to the right direction? I think so, and I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, there are times when I think, you know, be careful what you ask for uh, because, you know, you just never know. But but you're right. The You know, the balance of the U.S. Supreme Court has changed. Um, I was just talking to Chuck before we went on the air out in the parking lot. I was listening uh, to the court's decision on the Heller case from years ago, just happened to go back and listen to that again, and listening to some of Scalia's comments about the Second Amendment and the history. Um, so, yes, if th there are decisions from other uh, circuits in the U.S. that conflict, so if something comes up out of California, then it is sort of teed up for the Supremes to go, okay, we're going to have to settle this, and I wish they would. Yeah, I do, too. I think it's silly. Um, most of us who know anything about firearms know that you can train yourself around a 10-round magazine. But worse than that, we know the bad guys aren't going to go, oh, I better throw this away. It holds more than 10 rounds. It's it's just not likely to happen. Although that would be good for you, wouldn't it, Garson? I mean, you'd be able to sell a whole bunch more new magazines that only hold 10 rounds. Maybe. Oh, yeah, opens up a whole new marketplace. Uh, we can only hope. All right, Carla Howell, uh, I interviewed her yesterday. We'll, we'll play her song, or at least parts of it, and uh, chat with her because she had an epiphany about guns. That's next on Gary on Guns. It's 35 minutes after the hour. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Uh, Garson is in from Graffs, and then uh, uh, State Representative Chuck Basie is on board with us. And, uh, of course, uh, we have our resident attorney, Dale Roberts. Uh, and which one of you guys, how many of you guys are country fans, country music fans? I enjoy I it. it. Yep. Yeah, I see, I'm not a, not a big country fan. In fact, the last job I had in music was uh, a hot uh, country station. And there was some of the new hot country that are, uh, music that I liked because it reminded me a lot of the 60s rock. Um, and, and, but I'm just, I'm not a, not a, devotee of it but a friend of mine uh, who was not pro-gun had an epiphany and she's a musician and she wrote a song we've got it up on our facebook page gary on guns i'm going to play a bit of this and then uh, a little excerpt of a conversation i had with her because the the uh, history of the song is kind of interesting um, it's not just you know i made up a song because i'm pro-gun uh, so here, I'll play some of the song, and I want your honest opinion on this. 
Because if you don't like it, come right out and say, no, nah, that, that, I'm just not going to buy that. But we'll play it right now. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. You're not going to allow it? Well, I never liked those guns, and I wondered who would own a gun. I figured they were not folks like me. I thought that those who claim a need were living far away from me. I wrote them off as rednecks and I introduced the first assault weapons ban. I got it passed. My neighbor's suicide said they keep one interesting is that Carla's brother worked with uh, the Brady group uh, and was staunchly anti-gun. She was anti-gun. Even as a libertarian, it was like, well, yeah, okay, I'll accept this, but I'm, I, I don't see any reason to own a gun. So she, in that song, is telling stories, though I don't know if you could hear clearly the lyric, but there's a friend of hers who is being stalked 
uh, and her son uh, was in the car with her, and she she feared what would happen, so she got a concealed carry and and carried a gun, and that literally um, saved her. Uh, I I love stories where they have the, the those epiphanies. Uh, it just it it just um, gives me hope that other people will see the light someday too. Uh, so now now comes the tough part because I'm not a country music fan and that has a kind of a country music sound to it uh, so I'm <laughs> going to go around the table I almost hesitate to do this but I do I would be honest uh, I I like the message not a big fan of country music I can't imagine you know playing that at a party what do you think uh, I'll start with uh, Garson uh, yeah I wouldn't say it's a party song but you know, it's definitely something that, you know, hits hits all the main arguments for, um, you know, our right to bear arms. I mean, it. I I kind of feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but yeah. I mean, you know, just like you say, when when seconds count, cops are minutes away. Um, you know, they're not there to, you know, prevent all crime. They're there to investigate and report. You know, uh, Chuck, one of the interesting observations that Carla made when I was chatting with her about the song was that her, uh, the image in her mind of uh, pro-gun people was the image that was painted by her brother and, uh, and the mainstream media. But when she was forced to speak with them, because she'd run for office in Massachusetts, um, she found out that they were the nicest people she'd ever met. Do you think there's just a misconception about Second Amendment supporters? Oh, I think there's a big misconception. Yeah, it's uh, Garson hit the points there that the song really hit the uh, a lot of the points that are being made against uh, you know law-abiding gun owners, law-abiding people in general. So it's just uh, I, you know, I hear it all the time down in uh, the Capitol in hearings and, and on the floor. It's just uh, amazing the way these people think that uh, if we pass these laws that they would like to pass, that the criminals would, would just fall in line and obey them. And it's just not <laughs> reality. It's not, it, it just won't happen. They're not following the laws now. And they could care less, you know. It's But, you know, if they, if, if they passed a magazine ban, I imagine the majority of law-abiding citizens would follow that law, and they would they would not be happy about it, but they would follow the law. Well, well, some some <laughs> I guess majority would maybe. I, I yeah I know yeah, there'd be exceptions. I'm not going to say who in the crowd that I'm speaking with right now would probably <laughs> ignore it, but I know at least three of us, uh, three of them. <clears throat> <laughs> So are you going to make that a ringtone for your smartphone? Well, I'll just put it this way. I, I shouldn't have taken my bump stock uh, boating uh, the other day. And, and it fell off the boat, so I couldn't find it. Shouldn't have taken your bump stock boating. <laughs> they don't make good paddles. They just fall right in the water. Yeah, just such a shame. Dale, uh, what do you think as a musician uh, and as a message? I think you like the message. What about the music? Well, you know, I grew up in the era of American Bandstand, so I have to say, I give it a 50, you can't dance to it, you know? Okay. As they always <laughs> used to say on American Bandstand. Um, yes, I absolutely like the message. And it's, it, I mean, it's a novelty song. You know, hopefully some stations will play it just for the fun of it. I can't imagine it selling much 
but I absolutely agree with the message and appreciate it. And it's interesting, the timing, uh, this coming Monday, I will go to the Capitol to teach my annual concealed carry class and law, firearms law seminar. I may do that separately, but at least the concealed carry class for the legislators. And it's and this is, I think, 14th or 15th year. Every year, there'll be a legislator or two in that class who I think at the outset, I look at their body language and think they're just here to see what these gun nuts are up to. And by the end of the class, there have been so many of them who have said, you know, I I was just doing this kind of to sit in, but I'm going to get my permit. And they completely come around. And so, yeah, when people get the facts and if they're willing to listen to reason, uh, you know, things change. And I'm glad that Carla's putting that out there. Okay. Uh, for those of you interested in seeing the video, because the video is uh, really kind of uh, makes the song for me anyway, uh, you can go to Gary on Guns on Facebook. You'll find it there. When we come back, uh, we'll find out if there's any pending legislation, pro or anti-gun, in Missouri State Legislature. Gary on Guns, Hot Talk, 93.98. Hey, welcome. It is 55.0, 50 minutes after the hour. Uh, Garson is in so from Graffs, and uh, so is uh, State Representative Chuck Basie, Second Amendment supporter, and Dale Roberts, also Second Amendment supporter. But, yeah, we have the bonus of a legal mind as well. So um, let, me, uh, let me first start with Chuck. Any new legislation introduced that has a chance... Uh, either good or bad of passing? Uh, yeah, we uh, actually perfected a bill that uh, Adam Schnelting has uh, filed repeatedly, and that's uh, allowing uh, concealed carry permit holders to carry on mass transit. And that was perfected the other day, and I think we're going to third read it um, Monday. And third read, for people that don't know, when you perfect a bill, that's, that's when you debate it on the House floor, and you can add amendments or uh, defeat amendments either way. But when you third read it, that's the final uh, vote on the bill when it sends it to the other chamber. So we're going to third read that more than likely Monday. So that I think that's a good bill. It's been passed uh, repeatedly, or at least through committees. And we I don't think we've ever got it to the House floor, if I remember correctly. Um, but anyway, it's uh, that's one bill. And then there's several others that have worked its way through uh, committees. And, and it will be getting to the floor here shortly. And those are uh, Second Amendment pro-Second Amendment bill, so we're moving things out of the house. What about the Second Amendment Preservation Act? Um, I looked, I got a question on that from a constituent, and uh, they're, they haven't moved the, the House version yet in the Senate. It's just waiting for uh, an assignment to the committee over there, and then Senator Burleson's bill, I know it's been moved through general laws, but I, I think that's as far as it's gotten. So, and Gary, I I met with Senator Burleson a week ago Monday evening. Um, some of the officers I represent had concerns about whether the SAPA Second Amendment Preservation Act might interfere with their ability to do what they do, um, the stuff that they that we want them to do. And Senator Burleson, of course, said, "Come on down. We'll talk about it." We had a long discussion. He's asked me to draft a couple of uh, potential amendments for the bill. Um, to address law enforcement concerns, and they don't harm the bill in any way. But in that process, um, I asked him about his bill, Senate Bill 39, the SAPA, and he thought at that point that the Senate, that they'd probably go ahead and move with the House version, which is House Bill 85 and 310, I think, 
since it had already been perfected and sent over by the House, I guess it would be more efficient for the Senate to run with that one, and they're identical. So that's the latest. You know, well, what were the concerns of law enforcement? What potentially? Well, for example, you know, we have local law in larger communities, and certainly Columbia, we have local law enforcement officers who work closely with, for example, an ATF agent or FBI occasionally or others. But in the discussion at that time was they work with an ATF agent and they have been quite successful at, you know, interdicting, suppressing illegal activity and getting, you know, known criminals, guys who were running illegal drugs, illegal guns, shooting, you know, responsible for numerous drive-by shootings, you name it, uh, getting those guys off the street. And their concern was, well, you know, will this interfere with our ability to do that? My first response was, well, no, because they're not law-abiding citizens and SAPA uh, protects Second Amendment rights as they pertain to law-abiding citizens. But there's some areas where they, you know, they provide office space to an ATF person or they're, you know, if they if they find a gun on the street or in a crime scene, they run it through the system to see if they can figure out has that firearm, has that handgun been used in a crime? And then they ascertain it has not. If they find out that's Dale's gun, then they get it back to me. And so they, just as an example, said, so if we... You know, if we do a check on this gun and find out it belongs to a law-abiding citizen, are we in trouble? Uh, because we worked with the ATF and their equipment to do that. Things like that. And, you know, most of them, we talked through them and realized, well, that's not a problem. You're not, you're not infringing my Second Amendment right. In fact, you're helping me by getting my gun back to me. Um, so, uh, things like that. Gary, if I could just... Uh, uh mentioned too that that same concern came up in the house bill and it was amended to take that language out uh, our law enforcement officers in our caucus were very concerned about that so um the speaker and the bill sponsor uh worked that out and we we covered that and it's uh, it, it was unanimously supported by the republicans down there and uh, and that's the bill that's sitting over in the senate right now so hopefully they'll they'll um uh, I understand they, they have the same concern on the Senate bill. So I, I think the intention, I don't want to speak for Senator Burleson, of course, but I think the intention is to try and match it up with the House bill. And uh, I think that was an appropriate thing to do. It's a shame you even had to write the bill. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It really is. It is. It's disappointing uh, that you had to write a bill that, that protects your constitutional right to own and bear arms. Uh, it just it's just sad. How about on the other side, Chuck? Any uh, anti-gun legislation that looks like it's going to move, or is it all pretty much DOA? I think it's uh, dead. I, even if the speaker would refer it, which he hasn't yet, uh, I don't think the chair of the committee that it would be assigned to would would bring it up. Um, I, I just don't see that happening at all. In a in a legislature that is dominated uh, by Republicans, who are you know pretty clearly. Uh, not anti-gun. Why does the other side insist on introducing legislation they know is going to die? Is there some political advantage in 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 doing that? Well, it, it could be. I'm not saying they're not. Uh, I, th I think what they that what they're doing is they're listening to their constituents. You know, many of these uh, Democrat reps are in high crime areas and 
and they hear it all the time. You know, they, they see these things happening, and and um, I I don't know, I, but that's that's what they do. You know, they they think it's the appropriate thing to do, and uh, you know, they don't uh, understand the the thought process of people in my area, especially out in the rural areas. You know, we don't break the laws. We we you know we don't do anything wrong with our guns and. And, but they see it all the time where they live, and it's just uh, part of their, you know, their... It's part of their with. religion. It's like yeah. it's like a religious belief that this stuff works. All right, uh, we're coming up against the clock, but in a couple of minutes, we'll find out from Garson about some uh, firearms from Graf's. And hopefully he doesn't do that whole Lucy uh, thing with, uh, you know, taking the football at the last minute, buying it up himself. He'll... Hopefully, leave it for you to pick up at Graf's. That's next, and Gary on Guns.